Good evening, Union Grove. Um, so, yeah, thanks for letting me come up here and uh, boasting on God tonight. Um, that's, uh, it's, it's quite a pleasure and a joy to do so. So, um, I've been covenanting and thanking you for your prayers as I've been going through school. Uh, it's, been, it's been a rather uh, fun adventure. It's joyful and trying. Um, especially when you're taking a class during the summer and the days are getting long and the sun's out and you're sitting behind a computer doing some reading when you, uh, you want to be out playing with your kids or doing whatever else, being a dad or one of the other many roles that God has called you to. So I just wanted to thank you for your prayers. And since uh, you guys have been enjoying the adventure with me, uh, by praying with me, thank you. Um, my last class was on the Book of Romans. Um, and my last paper was the Romans argument. So I had to do like this kind of 30,000 foot overview of the book of Romans in 20 pages or less, even though there's volumes and volumes and pages and pages and pages written about the book of Romans. I also read a bunch of those. Um, I enjoyed it. It was good. And I just wanted to uh, share, share from, uh, from my studies and what I, and what I was learning and uh, try to glorify God this evening with you guys. So um, we're going to be in the Book of Romans. Uh, I think it's also kind of nice timing because I know we've been in and out doing some other uh, preaching. And so Pastor, when he comes back, I know he's going to be in Romans 5. So tonight my goal is just kind of do a brief overview of Romans 1 through 5. Kind of like uh, if Trevor was flying the plane, doing some barrel rolls, coming in, looking at a couple of the trees, not getting stuck on them. That'd be the plan. And then uh, getting back up there again. So I'll tell you what, uh, as you get to Romans 1 and get ready to flip through some pages or swipe some pages or whatever you do, and uh, I'm going to pray, ask our Heavenly Father for his, uh, his blessing, and then we'll get into it. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for condescending to us in your word and, and letting us know about you and letting us know about your son and what your son did for us. And thank you so much for, for pouring out your spirit into our lives, Lord. And I just pray today that um, you bless, bless these lips, help glorify you. Um, help me be smooth with speech, uh, and, and just help me glorify you, Lord, and share. And let everyone here be, uh, be the better for listening to your word tonight, Lord. And I thank you so much for the hope and the joy that we find in it, the comfort that we find in it, and the blessing that you promise us through it. And I pray this in your name. Amen. So, the book of Romans. Starting off with the book of Romans. Uh, so, Paul, when he wrote the book of Romans, he, uh, Paul had plans. And he says this in chapter 1. He talks about his plans and his purposes, as you see in my outline there. He had his plans and his purposes to get to Rome. He wanted to get to Rome. He wanted to visit Rome. He wanted to help establish the church there. Historically, there's no uh, real... Uh, claim to who started the church. I know there's some that want to argue that it was Peter. There's no real evidence of that. Um, but it actually was poor, and more if anything, it was Paul. So uh, Paul on his uh, second missionary journey, we read in the book of Acts, so he runs in this couple, Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, they were uh, kicked out of Rome, right? Emperor Claudius at the time decided that the Jews were a handful of trouble. He didn't want them in Rome anymore. So he said, adios, and they went. And so he ran into them, and he started hearing about the faith of the believers there. Now, people say that they probably were established because, uh, like most Jews that were good Jews, good following Jews that would have been believing the promises of God, would have showed up at Pentecost, uh, that faithful day when Peter, uh, when Peter spoke, and the tongues of flame came down, and, and people got saved. 3,000 got saved that day when we read in Acts chapter 2, and they went back to Rome and started sharing the faith. And we say that. And uh, Paul, in 
as he's saying he wants to get there, he wants to, he wants to come to them and he wants to help establish them as a church and he wants to build them and give them gifts. He wants to participate in their faith, to be encouraged by their faith, just like uh, he wants to be encouraged by theirs and wants to encourage them with his. And so Paul, though, he was delayed on his way to Rome. He didn't get to Rome uh, at the time when he wrote it. It was in his third journey when he was headed back to Jerusalem uh, to bring them uh, some of the monies that he was collecting because at that time the, uh, the Jewish, uh, the believers were struggling in, Jew, in, in Jerusalem and he was bringing some money back to help them out. And so, uh, so Paul writes the, the epistle of Romans to the Romans and in it, it, it he takes such great length and detail to explain the gospel. Um, so for an illustration, uh, when I got saved, I got baptized. And when I got baptized, I gave my testimony. And I wrote my testimony for one man, my brother. Uh, when, just like Andrew, who went to Peter, I wanted my brother John to get saved. So I wanted him to enjoy the relationship with Christ that I had enjoyed, and I wanted him there, and I knew he was going to be a captive audience at my baptism. So when I wrote my testimony, I made sure to include the gospel, what Jesus Christ had did for me in my life before that, not trying to glorify the sin, but saying how I was empty without God and what my life was with Christ and the hope that I had after salvation. And I shared that testimony so he would hear little funny side story, uh, he confessed to me that day he had to step out because this was the day of flip phones and he wanted to set his football, fantasy football lineup, so he stepped out in the middle of my testimony. That was, that was a good kick to the shins. But uh, I, I've been sharing with him, don't you worry. That wasn't the last time we heard the gospel. But, uh, so anyways, Paul, in that same desire, wanted, wanted the Romans, these people he's been hearing about, these people that he's been sharing time with, to understand the gospel. So what I like is how he even starts the book. The, the first five verses, Paul, he just packs so much theology in these first couple of verses. It's ridiculous. I could probably spend a whole bunch of time here. I really don't want to, but uh, it's kind of like it's on the secret menu. If you go to Arby's, you can order the meat mountain. So Arby's, it's a real sandwich. You can do this. You can get... Uh, it's every type of meat they have into one sandwich, and they call it the meat mountain. It's not on the menu. You've got to ask for it. Uh, I'm, but Paul takes his meat mountain, and he packs it into a McDonald's-type cheeseburger. So it's this little itty-bitty thing filled, packed with all this. Bethany, mine went away. <laughs> all right, so... Uh, I'll just read from my Bible because I got that with me. But Paul unpacks a whole bunch of scripture, so I'm going to uh, read on from there. So first, first couple of verses, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised through his prophets in the Holy Scripture. Right away, Paul is explaining how the gospel was promised by God. It, it, right from the get-go, he wants to make sure you understand is a promise of God. And not only that, but it was promised by the prophets in the Holy Scripture. He's already lifting up to you uh, that the fact that the Holy Scriptures are the word of God. Paul is confirming that right here. It's, it's a presupposition for him. It's a non-negotiable. The Bible, the Old Testament, and what ends up being the New Testament, even though it wasn't all written at that time, are definitely the words of God, as he's promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures that they were speaking for God. And it was concerning this gospel, which he promised, was concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. 
who is born of the seed of David according to the flesh. Again, it's about God fulfilling his promises that he made. It's about God's promises. See, David, God made a promise with David. It's referred to as the Davidic covenant where God promised to David that one of his his descendants would reign and be uh, reign on the throne and always be in charge of Israel and be the king. And here Jesus Christ is. That's why it's God's son, our Lord. And not only that, but he declared to be the son of God with power. It's not some, not just any God, but he's the son of God with power. We're going to talk about that power a little later. According to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of the dead. What I love it too here is, even in this beginning, we even get the Trinity. We got the Father, we got the Son, we got the Holy Spirit, and we're talking about God who is Jesus who is alive today, resurrected and alive with power, right? So Paul is just unpacking all of this, just even just to start off the epistle. I can, it's, it's amazing how, how much God is just revealing about himself through Paul at this point. And I love this. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. Obedience to the faith. Paul starts the epistle with that and he concludes the epistle with that. Obedience to the faith. This epistle is about helping your faith, understanding your faith, who it's in and what he's done. It's about knowing about the Son of God, Jesus, and what he did on the cross so that you can live your life according to that. That's what it means, obedience of the faith. It's about obeying your faith and walking in light of your faith and locking believing in what you believe. We're going to see later on, we're going to see the Abraham, and we're going to talk about David, who did the same thing. They walked according to their faith and obedience to their faith, right? And so Paul starts this portion off. He starts talking about the gospel, which was promised by God, and our response, which is faith and trust in that promise. And even then, we get to see what's going to unfathom and roll out greater throughout the, the book of Romans here, is it's about promises and faith. So... Paul emphasizes all throughout chapter 1, faith. Obedience to the faith. He talks about sharing faith with Romans, looking forward to hearing about their faith, how they're famous for their faith, and and how he's praying about them and their faith. And then he gets to uh, the theme. The theme of Romans that he puts in, uh, and and most people agree with this, uh, it's verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The gospel is the power unto salvation. It's the power of God, right? Jesus Christ, the Son of God with power, the power of salvation to everyone who believes. There's this universal call to it. It's for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And we're going to get into it, to what it means to be just and what it means to be living by faith and to be just by faith. Those, that, that little verse, Paul's quoting Habakkuk 2.4, um, which simply states, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. There's no boasting before God. There's no coming to God talking about your good works. There's no coming to God talking about how awesome you are. There's no boast, right? Jeremiah 9, 
28 and 29. Rich man, don't boast in your riches. Wise man, don't boast in your wisdom. Mighty man, don't boast in your might. But if you're going to boast, boast in God. Boast in God. So Paul, he's not ashamed of this gospel. In fact, what's really awesome is in verse 15, he's talking about how ready he is to preach this gospel. He wants to get to Rome just to preach this gospel, to share in the fruit of preaching this gospel. He loves the gospel. He's been set aside for it. He's not ashamed of it, for it's the power of God. He loves it. And so the just shall live by faith. And then Paul here, he switches gears on us. He's going to change gears on us a little bit. He's going to set us up by saying the just shall live by faith. And he's going to explain to us why that statement is true. And it starts in the very next verses. Romans 1, 18 to 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. All men are without excuse. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. There's none. There's no justification. And, and Paul's going to get in that. But the thing is, the problem we have The problem all of us have is the wrath of God is going to be revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Every one of us, every one of us has done something ungodly, has done something unrighteous. And it's whether or not God's wrath, oh, what a horrible thought, is going to be revealed against his son who paid for it on the cross or for you trying to attain heaven by your good works. What a sad thought. What a sad thought. And so Paul, he carries on, and he's going to talk about two groups of people in these next chapters and how we're all unrighteous, and he's going to unpack our need for God's righteousness and why the just live by faith. So he starts with the immoral man, and we're going to cruise down to verse 28. Uh, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, and God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not... The, the immoral, it's, it's abundantly clear. The, the, these people are the ones that are, you know, they're the criminals of the word, the, the murderers, the sexually immoral, uh, liken it to our day, the human traffickers, the drug traffickers, the, the people, you know, the, all the sorts of disgusting acts that we see out there today, we have no problem with their judgment. Everybody's like, yeah, that's right, that's true, that's just, they should be. They have no problem with, with people like that getting what they deserve. And, and so, but God here, it's, even, it's interesting too. And even though, even though God has made it relevant to all men that they should know God, right? Uh, like, it's interesting. Like, one of my friends who's got a bunch of atheist friends, and him and I, we talk, uh, his atheist friends want to talk about the God theory, right? And they want to talk about the origin of the God story and how that man wasn't made in God's image, but God was made in man's image. And I was like, oh, that's clever. But the thing is, if you read the gospel, the gospel is such a crazy story, unlike any other story. I don't know how you can come to that conclusion that we made that up, that man made this story up about our Jesus Christ. It's, it's unheard of. It's, it's crazy. But they didn't want the knowledge of God in their head. They wanted to determine what is wrong and right. They wanted to determine their own morals. And so God said, fine. You want to forget me? Go. And he gave them over to debased mind, do sorts of the ugly things that we see in today happening. And it's easy. It's easy to agree and say, yeah. Yeah, they can have their just dessert. But for the moral man, that's where the argument really comes in. What about for the good man, the ones that are trying to do right? So Paul continues on 
in chapter 2. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man. You're still without excuse. Whoever you are who judge, for what, in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. If you don't like lying but practice deceit, you condemn yourself. If you don't like stealing but take something that doesn't belong to you, you condemn yourself. By which you judge others, you judge yourself. Right? There's these guys at work. I know they have problems with other guys that cheat on their wives, but then they also tell me there's nothing wrong with looking. What? And I'm like, actually, Jesus actually says there's something wrong with looking. But they still will do it. And then they still want to act as if they're going to be right before God because they're banking on their good works and not their wrong. And they got it wrong because unfortunately, you're going to be on trial for what you did wrong when you're before that holy judge, right? That, and that's, that's the problem that we have as men is that we're going to be on trial just like, like what happened in Minneapolis, that cop when he was on trial for the murder of George Floyd, right? Imagine what would have happened if the jury found him guilty and the judge said, let him go. They would have burnt that town down. Minneapolis would be no more. They would have been crying out for justice. They would have been mad at this corrupt judge and how dare he not give justice. Yet when it comes to God and being just with us, oh, we don't want that. Nor should we. It's scary, right? The beginning of wisdom and knowledge is the fear of God. And that fear comes from understanding that God is holy and we are not. That God's righteousness is something that we cannot attain. So, therefore you, but you, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God. That's our problem. We're not going to escape the judgment of God, and it's going to be according to the truth, right? Every one of us who wants to, to justify that little white lie, everyone who wants to justify that little sin, everyone who, man, I, I love it. When, when my, two of my kids are fighting, pick. They all do it, Right? <laughs> When two of them are fighting, they'll come up to dad and, and they'll be mad. And they'll be like, dad, oh, I can't believe this. I'm like, well, I heard you yelling at them. And they're like, yeah, but. I'm like, no, no, no. Yelling at them is not good. We can't, we can't be yelling at each other. But dad, you don't get it. And, then they, and, and it's really funny because like, I keep pushing the buttons because I know that they're getting more and more mad because I won't listen to them as they're trying to justify their sin. Right? They want to say, but dad, they are evil and unrighteous. They took the controller from my hand and they need judgment. I won't have it, right? And then they get mad because I want to deal with their sin first. And I'm like, for one, you're not honoring dad. You're yelling at dad right now. You're getting all sorts of mad and hot. And I love you. And you don't need to talk to dad like that, you know? And, and that's where we're at. We're going to judge according to truth. There's no, there's no justification for our sin. There's no hiding our sin before an all-righteous, omnipotent, omniscient God who sees all. There's no justifying sin. And what I even love too is even for the people that think that they're doing all right by God because they are experiencing blessings, Paul says, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to repentance? God's patience and kindness is supposed to lead us to repentance. 
But in accordance with your hardness of heart and your impotent of heart, you are tre- treasuring up yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. By not turning, you're storing up for yourself wrath. Turn. Turn. So this is for the moral man. And Paul's going to carry on in, in the rest of two. And what Paul does in the book of Romans 2, and, I, and, I, and it's really neat because we're going to see in the book of Acts, right in the book of Acts, uh, the gospel is going to go from Judea to Samaria to the rest of the earth, right? From Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. And, and so now we got these two history that Paul kind of interlines, right? You got the Jews and you got the Gentiles. And Paul's going to kind of go back and forth talking about what the law is and, and what advantages of the Jew. And he's going to blend these two histories together. Now, I'm going to echo something that Pastor says all the time. We do not believe in replacement theology. The church doesn't replace it. So although Jews and Greeks are being blended into one church, Paul is definitely going to reveal later on that there is a future for the nation of Israel for the ethnic Israel and so uh, don't fall into that trap either Um, so the need for God's righteousness all have sinned all are guilty before God Romans 3 10 as it is written none righteous no not one There's none who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There's none who does good. No, not one. And he carries on. Our problem is we're unrighteous before a holy and righteous God. And even... Brothers and sisters, you guys can even testify. As you get working in life and grinding in life, as, as you're trying to be a good mom, you're trying to be a good dad, a good husband, a good wife, you're trying to do your schoolwork, you're trying to, you're trying to be a good employer, you know, and all of a sudden you're caught up in life and you're not spending time with God in his word or spending time with God in his prayer and you're kind of living life. And, and especially if nothing's really going wrong in your life and you're not being driven to your knees in prayer out of trials and affliction. And, and sometimes it's easy even for us to turn aside from God. It's easy, and it's, it's sad, but it happens to the best of us. It's easy to get caught up into living your life and forgetting to spend time with God. So, but Paul concludes the whole argument. Um, the summation of, his, of man's condition, Romans 3, 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. There's no arguing with God. That's what Paul's saying. That's what the law is all about. The law is to point out our sin. The law is to point out how we do not attain the righteousness of God. Right? And in trying to fulfill the law, we are not going to. We're not going to be justified by our flesh. Nothing we can do can make up for our sin. And that's the problem. Right? And the law is there just to point out our sin, to help us understand our sin and how we fall short. But Paul, of course, this is the beginning of Romans. This is not where Paul leaves us. This is not where Paul leaves us. So those very next verses, this is such a beautiful passage of Scripture. I love it. It goes into great detail and depth, and I'm probably not going to do it justice, but Romans 3, 21 to 26. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and 
on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. I just love this passage. I I love it, right? Because in it, we are justified freely, right? It's through faith in Jesus Christ. And when he says, on all who believe, the word is imputation, right? Imputed righteousness. Not that you've attained it yet, but it, it, you've been declared righteous. So it's like uh, trying to make like a broken analogy. I'm eating a hot dog and a jelly donut, and I got a mustard stain on one side and a, and, a, and a jelly stain on the other side of my shirt, and I look like a horrible mess. Or, or I got s'more stuck in my beard. Um, there might be a picture of that somewhere. Anyways, but then all of a sudden, God just gives me a new shirt. I take off the old dirty shirt, I put on the new shirt, and I look clean, I look great. And that's what, that's what that imputation is. That's, that's what imputation is. You're given Christ's righteousness. You are made righteous like Christ, not because of what you've done, not that you're righteous, not that you're even attaining your own righteousness through your own acts, but it's been imputed to you. It's been given to you. It's been accredited to your account. And it's, it's such a beautiful thought, right? And we are freely justified. And how does this happen? It's by the propitiation of his blood. So uh, like my buddy Tori here, my Tori likes drifting. So uh, my buddy Tori, let's say he takes out uh, the Honda Odyssey uh, and he starts doing donuts in the middle of Highway 11 and 45. What's going to happen? Well, eventually, a Union Grove police officer is going to show up and give him a ticket. He broke the law and he's going to get his just penalty, that ticket, right? And then he's going to go home before his mom and dad and probably not want to tell him about the ticket, but Tori's a good boy, so he's going to tell him about the ticket, right? A good boy. And, uh, and, uh, Josh and Rachel are probably going to have two different responses. Josh is probably going to be amazed that he could do donuts in a Honda Odyssey and high-five him. <laughs> and Rachel's going to probably high-five his face <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and help him learn. But let's say then Josh, being the loving father he is, knows that Tori doesn't have a lot of money, and he goes down to him at the courthouse, and he pays that ticket. Propitiation. That's, that's it, simply. You did the crime. You deserve the time. But Jesus paid it. Jesus paid it by his blood. Right? So, so like I said, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, right? And his wrath is going to be against all unrighteousness. Where do you want your unrighteousness to be? Do you want to be it in your account? Or do you want it to be put on Jesus? And that's the choice we have to make. That's the choice that we get to make. Right? And, and, and I love this too, that... To, in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins. God just whew, passes over them because of what his son did for us. Ooh, I love my Jesus. So Paul continues on with the argument, and he finishes up three by explaining there's no boasting in works, right? Because that's going to be the next argument. Paul, throughout this argument, is always, because he's not there to argue with the people, 
he's, he's perceiving the arguments that are going to be coming against him, and then he's arguing, giving them their answer. So, of course, the, the question is, well, what of my works? What do my works matter then? Why does it matter if I try to do good if I'm just going to be condemned for my wrong, right? Why? 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 Why try to do good if it's to no profit? And he says, there's no boasting. If you want to be about your works, you're going to be boasting before God. There's no boasting by God. If you're justified by faith, there's no boasting before God. You're going to boast in God because it's by faith in God. And what about the law then? Is the law no good if it's not by, if we, why are we trying to obey the law? And he says, no, 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 no. You're going to uphold the law. When you say you are a guilty sinner that deserves hell, you are actually upholding the law. You are saying the law is right and that the law is good and I can't fulfill the law. You are not condemning the law but actually upholding the law and proving that it is good and true. Oh, it's amazing. Paul is just, I mean, the book of Romans, this has been a sweet two months. So the imputation of God's righteousness on full display. So Paul straight and give his illustration. So he's going to turn around to Abraham, and he's going to turn to the Old Testament, right? Abraham being the father of all the Jews. And he, and he talks about this in Romans 4. So he starts off in Romans 4, 3, and he says, What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And he follows up in 4, 4. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as great, but as debt, Right? So Abraham, who's the father of all the Jews, he was accounted righteous for believing the promises of God, the big Abrahamic covenant, the promises of God to Abraham when God promised him the land and the blessings and the seed. And and Abraham clung desperately to that. And I love reading about Abraham as he stumbled and fought and lived in accordance to that faith. And we see him stumbling and trying to make his servant his heir, going in with a maidservant and having Ishmael, and then finally having Isaac. And we watch him as he's clinging to those promises made to him by God and living that out. Living of that faith obedience to his faith right so if you want to work you work but you're not earning grace you can't earn grace but what you are earning is debt for your sin it's not about work and even he uses david good king david as an example again the davidic covenant the promises of god to david and david man who david David had a couple big mess-ups himself, right? And David, just as David described the blessedness of man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Blessed. So David, David enjoyed being forgiven by God and not having his sins counted against him by God. Because if, if God were to count us for our sins, who could stand? No one. No one. And so David recognizes this blessings, the blessings in not having your sins counted against you, but being counted as righteous because of God. And, he, and then Paul continues on in the argument. And, and so like the question then is, what is circumcision, right? Uh, I liken circumcision to kind of baptism, right? So like uh, if you're talking to a friend uh, that might be Catholic, well, I was baptized. What of your baptism? What does that mean, right? It's the same thing about circumcision to the Jew. So what if you're circumcised? Right, because Paul talks about it, both circumcision, because when did Abraham be counted righteous? He was counted righteous before he got circumcised. His circumcision was an act of obedience, an act of obedience after he had faith in the promise. God said, hey, I want you to do this, and he said, okay, 
I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe you. And he got it. So baptism today is the same thing for us, right? Uh, your, your baptism is, a, is an act of obedience as a sign in your faith to convey your faith outwardly to the public. A little bit different than circumcision, you know. So today we dunked, then they sniffed, and, and so that was the examples. So David and Abraham, though, they're the examples because they both clung to the promises of God. And this is how Paul wraps up the argument. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It was written for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offense and was raised because of our justification. That's how we can trust in it. God didn't just leave Jesus in the tomb. God raised Jesus up in the resurrection, right? That's how we can have faith. He died on that cross paying for our sins, and now because he lives today, we can trust in the justification that comes by Christ. Now, the sweetest part of the argument, the sweetest part, if we're going to be talking about the imputation of God's righteousness, this is where Paul takes it next, is in chapter 5. <laughs> The blessings, the blessings of justification, the blessings. Mm. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace. When, when you're on the unsaved side of the cross, God is a holy God, and he is a scary God because you are an unholy man, unholy woman. And if you understand that you righteously, you righteously deserve hell because you have fallen short, God's holiness is scary. It is frightening, and it's horrible. But if you are justified, you are justified. You are made peace with that God. And now his holiness is no longer scary. In fact, I love God's holiness. I used to hate reading about it. As he is holy, you too shall be holy because I still can't be holy. I can't. I would love to believe I can, but I can't. And, and, and so God's holiness, but now holiness is something beautiful to me, right? Because with God's holiness, it affects everything he does. God's love for you is a holy love. It is pure it is impartial as ugly as john is and as handsome as i am god loves john just as much as me weren't expecting that were you amen god loves everybody the same right god so loved the world and he loves everybody the same it's about how much you're going to access that love that's your choice right we're justified by faith and now we have peace with god we have peace with him we have peace. We don't have to fear him. We are now justified before his sight. So we have peace through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. In which we stand. You can stand before God and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Right? And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, right? When the trials come, we can still rejoice in glory because we know this isn't it. We know we have the hope of heaven. We know that God is fighting for us, and at the end, we will be in heaven with him. So whatever trial you have in this earth, man, it's nothing compared to what you got coming in glory. The present suffering of today are nothing compared to the glory that you have coming.
Oh, we rejoice in the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Oh, that sweet hope. Because in those trials, you're going to see your God at work. And it's going to help you preserve through more trials because you know God is fighting for you and that's going to develop character in you and that character is going to give you hope. And what kind of hope is that? That hope doesn't disappoint because the love of God is being poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Amen. Right? God gave us his spirit to live in us. When you accept the free gift of justification by faith, trusting in the promise of God to be made righteous before him by faith, right? It's by promise and by faith, not by your works. When you make that choice, he puts his Holy Spirit in you, and who knows the mind better than that of the spirit of the man? So not only you got the spirit of God dwelling in you, who knows God better? Who can reveal God to you more than the Holy Spirit now dwelling in you, right? And not only that, but his love has been poured out into our hearts. His love that is unfathomable, uncontainable, just amazing beyond all comprehension is now being poured out into your hearts. Not only do you have the hope of heaven, you now have God's love to live this life, to live it abundantly, to live it triumphantly. Just, oh, I can't get enough of God's love. And I celebrate it every day. And I just am thankful for that. And that's not it. That's not it. Paul continues on, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, because we were enemies before we were justified before God, you are an enemy of God if you are not justified by faith. If you are going to walk into God's judge as a judge in courtroom and you are going to tell God, ha, I was good enough, I was a righteous man, you are a fool and you are, oh man, you have got it wrong. You are an enemy of God if you are not going to accept what his son did for you on the cross. I heard a pastor once said it, and I love how I said it best. Everybody, the people that end up in hell are going to choose it over his son's literal dead body. But we, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. If justification came by his death, if he died for your sins, how much more grace is there for us now that Jesus is raised from the grave? How much more? It's unfathomable. I love Paul's prayer in Ephesians for the church. It's like, I pray that you grow in the knowledge and the depth and the wisdom of the love of God, which is beyond comprehension. He just, it's just a wonderful thing to grow in that knowledge. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. We have been made right with God so that we can pursue God. Don't miss that part of the gospel. The gospel is not just about getting out of hell. The gospel is about now being, being able to pursue God, being able to pursue that love that's poured out in your heart, being able to pursue the creator of the universe, being able to just pursue the Holy One. Oh, by the way, when he says he has plans for you, they're holy plans. They're perfect and pure and good. It's just amazing to think about that. So do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? 
Have you made that choice to be justified by faith? Have you accepted what Christ has done for you on that cross? And if you have, how well do you enjoy his love? How well, how well do you enjoy that peace with God? Are you striving? Are you fighting? Are you seeking your own? Have you turned aside? Have you got distracted? Are you enjoying the love of God? I kind of, I have an illustration. It's probably really, really broken. You can probably share with me how it's broken later on, but that's fine. I'm going to go with it. It's like a, God's love is like a waterfall. Just picture a beautiful waterfall, right? Picture a hot day. And you come up to this beautiful waterfall. You're walking through the woods and you see this beautiful waterfall, right? Now, some people are going to be like, ugh, I want nothing to do with that. They're overwhelmed by the sight of it. And they imagine getting themselves wet or getting hurt by sliding on the rocks and they want nothing to do with it and they walk away. Other people, some people might walk up and feel the cool mist spray off the rocks. Oh, that's nice. They might even say to their friends, hey, come check this out. This is nice. Some people might even see the cool water coming down the river, clear, clear, beautiful, cold mountain water, and they scoop up a cup of it and take a drink. Oh, is that refreshing? You should try this. You should try this. You got to try this. And you got some of us fools that jump head first in and plunge deep beneath that waterfall and say, give me more. I want more. And we're from, we're inside that waterfall, water rushing. You probably can't even make out what we're saying. We're like, come in, come in, enjoy this. What's stopping you? What's stopping you from enjoying the love of God to the fullest extent? God loves everybody the same. It's a matter of how much you're going to enjoy it back. And it's all by your choice. Are you like, mm, I really don't want to be one of them Jesus freaks that talks about Jesus all the time. I kind of want to be cool. Are you one of those people that don't feel worthy? Still looking at your sin? Like you can't measure up? It's already been covered. You've been right before God. You've been reconciled to God. Stop holding back. Stop letting that lie from Satan keeping you from the deep end. Get into his love. Enjoy his love. That's what's going to lead you to repentance. Kindness leads you to repentance. It's, it's, it's good for the sinner that needs to be justified by faith. Even more so, it doesn't turn. Now that you're saved by grace and faith, you are now going to be punished for your sins going forward, Christian. That's not where the argument goes. His love doesn't stop. So who are you going to be? Where are you going to be today? Are you going to be somebody that enjoys the love of God and wants to run into it full-heartedly, trying to drag as many other people with you, enjoying it as much as you can? Because, oh, if, you, if you're worrying about wanting to share the gospel of God, oh, is it easy when you enjoy his love? Oh, is it easy when he's your boast? Oh, is it easy when you've tasted of his goodness and you want to brag about him? It's easy. I know sin is going to want to say they don't want to hear it. Sin is going to come up to you and say, no, they're going to get mad at you. But if you enjoy that love of God, uh, that's not going to hold you back. It's not going to hold you back. Because you're going to start enjoying the love of God as you start glorifying God to the others. And you're going to know the Spirit's working in you and through you to help somebody else become a child of God. And you're going to feel that. You're going to love that, communing with the Holy Spirit. You're going to love being loved by God. It's amazing. So, this is where I'm going to end. I'm going to end you with that thought about enjoying the peace of God. Uh, an invitation, too. Uh, so those that are watching, those that, if you haven't made that choice, please, please make that choice. It's just a simple choice, too. It's not like you need some big lightning bolt in the sky or some sign, John, do it. It's, it's just a choice. 
just a choice. Do you believe God? Do you believe his promises? Are you going to trust him? Are you going to try to do it on your own? So, uh, Wednesday night when I preach, if you're curious, I'm going to give you a little preview. I'm going to cover, I'm going to keep going on through Romans. I'm going to carry on the, all the Romans argument. I'm going to cover 6 through chapter 8. Once you're justified by grace, what to do, what to do with that, that newness of life. So with that, let's, I'm going to close in prayer. Okay. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your son and what he did on the cross. Thank you so much for loving us. And even when we were enemies, you sent your son to die for us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for giving us your spirit to dwell in us. Thank you for so much for giving us your word so that we may know you, that we may know you better. And I just pray, Lord, that you'd put it in our heart to make more time for you and to enjoy that love that you have for us. And I just pray, Lord, that this church would continue to be the church that you build through your love, Lord. And I thank you for that. I thank you for being here and witnessing that. I thank you for seeing that every time I come here, for tasting the love that is rolled out through the believers in this church. It glorifies you, God, and it is sweet to be a part of that, and I thank you for that, for bringing us here to see your work through your believers, through the ones that are living out obedient to their faith, Lord, and I thank you for that. And I just pray that you help us grow in that love and want more of that love. And I pray this in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you.